This week on the Off the Crossbar podcast, after a few weeks off, the boys are back. And so is the commissioner, Brett Frude. We'll talk Unbox, Elevate 28, and the Olympics. Plus, are we getting Team 16 anytime soon? We'll keep the vibes high and give you our first box bet of the year. All that more on OTCB. My name is Teddy Jenner, and boy, have we got an absolute beauty for you tonight. Cook, Dixon, airmails it wide. Loose ball to King, lost there by Charbonneau, 19 on 19. King spins off his man, short side. Scores, he's got four. Tough defense leads to offense, and I know it's Ryan Tarafenko who tickles twine here, Pete, but how about this? Loose ball picked up by Terrafanko. Luke Magnin's looking at the bench. He has nothing to do with the offense. Just wants to set that hard pick. Frees up just enough space for Terrafanko to get that shot off. Mark Matthews to church wide open in the slot. Scores! And it's in the kids to bed. Robert Church wins it in overtime. It's Berg handling for Stotts. Skips a pass. Crowley scores! With one second on the clock, it's assist number three for Austin Stotts, and they're spreading the love. Dave, you talk about swinging the ball side to side. This is picture perfect. A laser pass directly through the middle of the defense. And Jeff T catches and shoots all in one motion. You see it go from one side to the other. Now, Digby's right through the middle of the defense. Lee swings over, Williams in tight, McLaughlin denied by Vince. What a stop, and what a game from the legend, Matt Vince. The Bandits break the spell. Revenge over Colorado. Redemption in Buffalo. And the Bandits are 2023 NLL champions. What is going on, everybody? Welcome back to the Off the Crossbar podcast. He is Pat Gregoire. I am Teddy Jenner. Find him at P. Greggy. I'm at Teddy Jenner. The show at OTCB underscore podcast. Or we're on the Instas at OTCB podcast. It's been, what, Patty, like 10 weeks since we've had one of these. We, uh, we talked just after the finals, and then we took a vacation. And your mustache is looking fantastic. I don't know how long it's been, Teddy, but I know it's been too long. Let's yeah. just leave it at that because let's be honest, the offseason's always great. The offseason in lacrosse really isn't an offseason. We had an awesome summer, great national tournaments, you being involved in one. Congratulations yep. on, on the you. run to the founders, by the way. Thank you. But then there's a little lull. Yeah, And for some reason, that little lull in between the summer season and the start of NLL season seems longer than the stretch from the NLL finals Yeah, to, to the, the actual season. Like, it's months before, but that little month and a half seems like it's a year. But we're finally here. Nature is healing. The clocks have turned back. It's cold here in Ontario. Leaves are falling off, but that only means one thing. The NLL is right. Oh, no. right yeah. 
Don't even get me going. <laughs> Our courses are already closed. It's, it's last week was the last week you could get around in at most courses. Don't get me started on that. I, got, I golfed yesterday, Pat. Of course you did. Of course you did. <laughs> even though it's like it's literally right now uh, in Pickering, Ontario, plus nine. But the course is closed last week because we were expecting, you know, snow this week didn't come. And now I can't play golf. But I was starting to show positive vibes, Teddy, about lacrosse being back. And now you've thrown everything. Uh, we'll get to the, our new positive vibes only segment later. But, yes, you are right. We have crossed it in November. Camps are opening up. We're 22 days now away from opening day, December 1st. But we did miss some things while we were on our hiatus. The draft happened. The Hall of Fame happened. Um, one of the biggest announcements in lacrosse history happened with lacrosse being in the 2028 Summer Games in L.A. So we're going to briefly talk about that. Obviously, all those things are kind of old, so we're going to take a bit of a different spin and look at some things. Obviously, let's go back. The NL Hall of Fame, uh, what an incredible night Um Ten very well-deserving lacrosse personnel, players, builders went in. Uh, you were there. I was there. Doc was there. The commissioner was there. We'll talk to him later on. But give me your biggest takeaway out of all those groups. Who shone in their speeches? This is tough because I think every single person that went up there and said words, whether it was the inductees themselves or whoever was presenting those inductees, did a really fine job. But if I had to choose one, and maybe I won't choose one, I'll choose the tandem, the two <laughs> gentlemen who in, induct each other, yeah, uh, Sean Williams and Steve Toll. Sean Williams stole the show because, well, let's be honest, what an emotional weekend it was for the Williams family. Yeah. Um, Tucker on the on the the minds of many, um, you know, a great message about living your life to the fullest. But he also had some comedy in there yeah. with his his best buddy Steve Toll. But Toller, uh, it was basically a five to ten minute stand up comedy yeah, session, yeah. Um, an absolute roast sesh of himself, <laughs> of, of everyone involved. It was great. I thought those two did a phenomenal job, and it really actually kind of personified. The relationship that those two guys have yeah. and i thought it was perfect and i thought yeah. that was great yeah i loved it just because the majority of those guys um i played with or against uh, at some point in my career in the nll and, and in summer ball foxy and roy were refs while i was playing so it was a very very cool experience to help induct teammates enemies foes friends um and and lifelong friends at that and, and I really thought it was well done. Um, I asked, and you'll hear the answer and, and more on it from the commissioner, but I, you know, I asked him, is this going to be a yearly thing? Because we did have, much like this podcast, a bit of a hiatus. And we had a massive group go in of, like I said, 10 people. Biggest class we've ever had in the National Lacrosse League. And the commissioner says, it's probably not going to be a, an every year thing. It may not be annual, but they kind of want to get it you know, every couple of years so we can have these bigger classes um, and really celebrate our players and our builders. So I want to ask you, who's next? Who's in that next Hall of Fame class? And to give you some context, out of the last session's voting, the players that didn't get in, Micah Kersey, Jake Berge, 
Mark Stainhouse, asterisk, because apparently he still hasn't fully retired yet. <laughs> Sandy Chapman, Glenn Clark, Ryan Cousins, Billy D. Smith, Brian Volker, Cam Woods, and then Rich Tamburino in the Builders. Out of those guys, or maybe someone that's not on the list, uh, who do you think goes in? Now, remember, I think you have to have been retired from the NLL for five years before you can be considered for induction. But who you got? Who Who's the next name that you would love to see go in the Hall of Fame? Well, I think there's two names that really stick out for myself. I'll start on the back end with a defenseman in Glenn Clark. And I think this is a guy that, um, you know, really embodies what it is as not just a lacrosse player, a lacrosse coach, but a lacrosse ambassador. The guy like eats, sleep and and breathes lacrosse, um, a part of a, a, a big part of a championship dynasty with the Toronto rock. Um, and he's one of those guys that, you know, on that rock team, you had so many stars that were putting up, you know, jaw dropping numbers, whether it's Doyle scoring game winning goals, Veltman picking up, you know, just countless amounts of loose balls, Steve toll scoring transition beauties. Glenn Clark was kind of the, you know, the, the, the steady back end presence, um, you know, would go up, you know, him and Pat Coyle, um, go up and and shut down the other team's best players. On the offensive side, um, Gavin Prout jumps out for me, man. Yeah. Um, proven winner. Uh, his numbers hanging up, you know, in the rafters at Ball Arena. Um, fierce competitor. Uh, I think he's still top 10 in assists all time. Yeah. Uh, I'll have to go back and check, but I'm pretty sure he is. And he's been retired for a few years now. And the fact that that's still standing there is, is quite impressive. Those are the two that would jump out to me. But man, if any of those other guys you mentioned uh, were inducted, like how could you argue against it? They no. they all will, they all will be there at some point. It's just whenever that happens. Yeah. I like the pro one. I added him to my list. I think Jake Berge definitely deserves it being a transformational American player uh, yes. with the Philadelphia wings and everything they did and everything that he meant and his family is meant to the city of Philadelphia. I think that's a, a huge one. You know, Billy D. Smith will get his time. But I think one name that that jumps out that's not on that list from last time, but I kind of added him in, is Jeff Shatler. And, yes. and what he did in his role. You know, he was, a, he was an MVP. He was a transition player of the year. He was a championship MVP. Uh, the iconic photo of him after he won the championship with the rush and the post-game interview in the press room, like the guy did it all. And like, I remember early on in his career, people were saying, you know, he could literally play the whole game and not ever come off because his gas tank just never emptied. And you saw that when he played, whether it was as a transition guy or a straight O guy, uh, special teams, wherever he was just an, an unbelievable player. So I'd love to see him eventually get that recognition. And then on the same lines of Calgary, um, Brad Bannister and what he did building the Calgary Roughnecks franchise and out help helping Alberta lacrosse really get to where it is now. Because without the Roughnecks, I don't really think we see the boom of Alberta lacrosse. It was eventually going to get there. Mm-hmm. But where they are now, a lot of those guys that are winning Minto or going to Mintos and winning founders and president's cups and all that, 
those are guys that grew up watching the Roughnecks in those OG days. So a huge hat tip to Brad Bannister. I think he's got to be a guy that will start to get on some of those ballots uh, and get some votes. But, you know, we're, we're probably a couple years away from, from the next hall of fame class, but whatever that class will be, will be uh, maybe not as star studded as this past one, but there's going to be some unbelievable names going into the hall of fame. Yeah, there's no doubt of, about that. And I, I mean, I've now that I obviously Glenn Clark and, um, you know, the I'd be remiss not to also say Sandy Chapman. I yeah. think that's that's I think if he was, you know, if we had to do a vote now, I'd have a real hard time keeping him off my ballot as well. Won a defender of the year uh, in 2010 championships. And you, you talk to a lot of players that played against him. You ask, like, who's one of the most fierce competitors, one of the toughest checks you've ever gone up against? Um, you know, Sandy Chapman's usually in that conversation. They didn't call him Charlie Hustle for nothing. That <laughs> exactly. In the ass to play against. Um, so that's the the past. Let's look to the future. What an incredible night the draft was. So many emotions, so many cool stories, so many cool little snippets of memories for a lot of those young men. Obviously, Dyson Williams going number one. And he'll be in the National Cross League next year with the Albany Firewolves. Um, was was there maybe a surprise in the draft for you? Did Vancouver kind of going off, not off the board, but kind of changing things up and grabbing the guys that they did? Peyton Cormier, maybe kind of throw you out. What was your big takeaway from the draft? To be honest, I don't think Cormier really was a surprise. I was kind of surprised with a lot of the the, the mock drafts and and some of the 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 lists that were coming out had him so low. And and I I think I, it's just me being a guy that's seen a lot of Cormier over the years with, mm-hmm. with Mimico. Like the fact that he went four really does not surprise me one bit. I think maybe one player that I was kind of surprised, um, you know, that ended up following as far as they did was, was Levi Anderson yeah. falling out of the top 10. That yeah. was my biggest surprise and surprise, surprise. He lands in the lap of Derek Keenan and, and <laughs> this always the case? It's, it's just getting ridiculous. Like, don't get me wrong. He is phenomenal at, ma- at making selections at, yeah. at finding diamonds in the roughs and turning great players, uh, good players into great players. But he's also pretty lucky too. And that was a lucky pick in my personal opinion, watching him with the minors uh, at the Prezies, uh, such a physically imposing player. I think he's a guy that has the capabilities to play either side of the ball. And that's kind of why I thought he would go higher. Um, The fact that he's not available this year, maybe is a reason why he fell as well. But uh, to see him drop, that was probably my biggest surprise of the evening. How about yourself? Um, yeah, I, I was kind of surprised at, at some of the, the team swapping picks and, and moving up, moving down. I, I really think Albany had an incredible draft. Yes, you know, I, I think Clem Durazio and Glenn Clark did a really good job bettering their team for the future in some of the moves that they did. And I, I thought they were the sort of the most active team. We saw a lot of teams kind of like trading down or, or trading out of rounds just because there wasn't anything there for them. But it, it it wasn't a shocking draft. I didn't see any, you know, major trades. You know, the the Hogarth trade maybe kind of caught some people off guard. But overall, I thought it was a, a very seamless night and, and a well-run event. 
Um, I think they need to tighten some things up with the draft. That's a conversation for a different story. Um, but it, it was an incredible night. So let's look again to the future. Next year's draft, just a real quick, who's maybe the, the, the odds on favorite to go one and who's that guy that maybe is your sleeper in the draft? This is tough because I, I think that there are a, like there isn't I don't think there really is a consensus number no. one like we've seen over the past couple of years, which makes it all the more interesting. Like, I mean, you can look at, at, at you know, at a guy like Sam English, who, um, you know, has had a perennial scoring prowess, uh, whether it's in the NCAA or in box across in, in the OJ. Um, you could look to, you know, even do you go on the back end? Is it is it a guy like uh, uh, Luca Anta Giovanni? Uh, Giovanni. <laughs> really, really gonna have to figure out how to pronounce that last name. Anton really, Giovanni. Anton Giovanni. Um, the guy's just he's a dude. He's a mutant. I've been coaching against him since he was twelve. He is a star, and he's gonna be. He, he's like he may not be as overall depth as like a Reed Bowering. But he's along that same lines, and and that's that Coquitlam pipeline of just creating these monsters that can do everything. And he's a prick, and he's an absolute prick to play against. Mm-hmm. And I say that in the most endearing nice. way yeah, possible, absolutely. right? Yeah. Um, the other guy that I don't know if he's going to go first overall because you know he doesn't have quite the the box experience. Although he did come up this summer and play for Mimico, uh, but I was blown away by how good CJ Curse. Yes. Was. Like mm-hmm. he is an absolute freak. Yeah. Um, he was he was either taking draws or on the ball team, and you know, really just dominating loose balls. Yeah. Um, he was the top lefty for that Mimico team. I mean, he controlled games. He would go back and play defense and could push transition. And it, it is it is such a small niche, but it just kind of speaks to his skill set and his athleticism when he was on the man down and ragging balls, like, and I don't even want to say ragging balls because he was taking to the net teams were actually like afraid to start doubling him because it was an, he was just beating doubles every single time and taking it to the net. He is going to be a special, special talent. The cursed boys, man, uh, whatever their parents have done, (laughs) they are all absolute studs, but, with that being said, I think CJ Kirst is going to be the best of them. And that's saying much because, man, what a family of lacrosse players they are. Is he the last one? There's one more, right? I I think he's the last. I mean, I, I would love. Hopefully there's another one sneaking <laughs> around. But I think he is the last one. He's got one more year uh, of eligibility. And, and yeah, so he was so special. Watching him yeah. against Whippy in that first round, uh, he, he just dominated. Absolute domination. It'll be interesting to see what happens with Brennan O'Neill as well as an American who's, you know, obviously took the world by storm at the World Games, won the Tuarton Award, um, was a teammate with Dyson Williams at Duke. You know, there's a lot of hype around him. Maybe someone can get him up for a summer of box across just to kind of get his feet wet and dabble and see what he can do. Um, but I know there'll be a lot of guys looking at him. Mike Grace is a, a monster of a D guy. He was added to Team Canada late. I think mm-hmm. a lot of guys will be hyped about him. I like Western guys like Dent McDonald, Jack Bowie. Yeah. Um, you're right. There isn't a consensus number one, which I think makes this draft so much more exciting because mm-hmm. there will be a lot of teams kind of jockeying to try to get the guy they want. And maybe yeah. it's 
you know, jumping up three or four spots to make sure someone else doesn't get that guy you want. But um, the fact that there isn't a consensus number one uh, definitely leaves a lot to be discussed as I, we get closer to that. Yeah, and and I wanted to say one thing because we're still on the future, and you talked about Albany, and they did. I I thought they did a phenomenal job this year. I think they've done a really good job in the draft, and you know, if everything pans out, like they they could potentially have. 13 first rounders in their lineup um, come next season. And that, that doesn't include guys like Tchaikovsky, Doug Jamison, Jackson Nishimura. Like they could possibly have a really special team. Now what happens this year, those guys that they bring in from last year's draft, can they do enough to make them competitive? Because uh, Glenn Clark had, had a great quote and he said, you know, I forget where he said it, but he goes, you know, if I'm sitting in this position again, talking about drafting the first overall pick, it's probably not me t- taking it. And, and it's him saying, I won't have a job yeah. if we come in last next year. So take it as you will. I think he still has a safe place. I think that the, the Firewolves uh, have a lot of faith in him, have a lot of faith in this staff. But with that being said, I think there is a lot of pressure on that team to win in that market Mm -hmm. because you know it's no secret um it was a little bit of up and down with that first year in that market first couple years in that market i should say but you know what brings people in into seats is is winning lacrosse games and i think that's what they really need to do this year we are into the month of november that means national lacrosse league camps have started teams are not wasting any times i i remember the days where teams would bring in like 45, 50 guys and have these massive open camps. And sure, you might get the odd outlier diamond in the rough or whatever it may be, but you really put yourself behind the eight ball having to take two weeks to cut yourself down to a manageable number. And, And now teams are bringing in like 30, 35 guys at most because they know they don't have a lot of time to, to do those cut downs. And after the first weekend of camps, you know, Vegas started the last weekend of October um, and, and teams were already cutting guys and and, and teams are already picking up guys from, from that cut list. So teams aren't wasting any time because they know how quickly the season is coming. And I think that's just going to make these teams that much more better or that much better because they'll be able to put systems in quickly and there'll be a lot of guys with familiarity to those systems. So, um, you know, I'm going to get a good chance this weekend. Um, there's a, a four team camp out at the LEC, San Diego, Calgary, Vancouver, and Colorado are all going to be there. So there's going to be some scrimmages taking place. So we'll be able to kind of see who's doing well and who's not. we got the NLL media car wash going on right now in Toronto, doing the same thing at the LEC on Saturday. So a lot going on for camps, but like I said, teams just not wasting any time. And I think that's that's the big thing. And I was, you know, I, I was just you know thinking like I, I do like the fact that you know week one when you don't have, you know, you don't have the numbers. Like the thing that is tough is like you don't get to scrimmage. You don't have that scrimmage right away. But the other thing is like you can get in right into systems right away. Because yeah. let's be honest, like. This and it's always the case. You can look at Georgia, for example. Like, look at how slow they started. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, one win in that what five, six week stretch where they they couldn't find a win. 
flip that around and they're in the playoffs with this having the unified standings and it's yeah. just the top one to eight you literally have no time to start out slow like no. you got to start out all firing and i think a lot of teams recognize that and that's why a lot of these teams have come down with these shortened camp numbers so they can week one they're into systems right away you know they're not even wasting with tra- like they're just doing their their testing right away like you got to come into camp already in shape yeah you're this is not a gasser to get you in shape um or you'll be left behind and i think that was evidently clear seeing some of the clips coming out um from teams all over that like boom they hit the ground running yeah and i think a lot of in the last five years coaches have been saying that and they've been saying you know what training camp isn't a time where you get in shape you have to be in shape by the time you get to camp because if you're not we don't got time for you Yep. If you come in and you can't get up and down the floor and it's evident that you haven't been doing anything over the past 10 weeks, 12 weeks, two months, whatever it may be, you're done. You, you just don't have that opportunity to try to catch up because you're going to be behind. So it'll be very interesting to see, you know, in the next couple of weeks, what the next few sets of cuts are going to be, uh, what players are maybe shocked to, to find themselves on the outside looking in, maybe trying to find a new team. Um, but yeah, man, we are run it towards opening weekend well we uh gotta stay positive right we gotta give them that positive vibes only positive vibes only new segment thumbs up thumbs down out the window kick it to the curb just because as the year went on we don't like to be negative here we don't like to point out the bad things obviously if something is outstandingly bad we'll bring it up but Positive vibes only here on the pod. What's your best story of the week or maybe of the past 10 weeks since we've been off? Hmm. This is a, this is a really, really good question. Is it like lacrosse story? It can be anything. It can be anything. Okay. Well, I'm going to go. Okay. Well, one, I think I'm, I'm really, really really and we'll talk to well you will you'll talk to to brett fruit about it the nll unboxed uh, i think has been one of the most refreshing initiatives for a professional sports league that i have seen in a very 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 long time um from just the fact that a they're introducing lacrosse to some new uh you know non-traditional lacrosse or box lacrosse hotbeds yeah they're going to some hotbeds in field lacrosse but maybe not as much history in box and then they're also going to some markets that have some history in box that maybe just don't have current history in professional ranks i think that it's great that a you're getting grassroots you're getting sticks and hands you're introducing more people to the game of lacrosse uh, leading up to the 2028 games. The fact that the NLL's product is very similar to sixes mm-hmm. with the up and down fast play. But not only are they doing this, they're also engaging not just the new communities, but you're also engaging the current lacrosse community with these awesome logos, oh. these awesome team names. And now it's not just, hey, we're here for a few weeks, we're doing camps, we're going to schools. We are also getting you emotionally invested into a brand. This is an absolute no-brainer. And you now you've got people outside 
of these communities wondering, waiting to see logos, seeing logos. Like it is just perfectly executed. And the cherry on top is while this is all going on, this is a perfect tester to see where future NLL teams could thrive. It is from top to bottom a beautifully executed and we're not even we haven't even named all the teams yet no but this has been a plus home run knock it out of the park whatever you want to say um this has been awesome and i i think this is just the tip of the iceberg for this program yeah we got three more teams to announce um they've done the tampa bay snowbirds unbelievable st louis rhythm nailed it ottawa electrics got some history there the baltimore ghost crabs unbelievable uh the charlotte cobras welcome back and the saint paul lake dragons minnesota saint paul lake dragons fooser sports has been absolutely nailing these logos the designs the colors the names everything and i don't know if they're collaborating with the NLL and these names and the logos, or if they're just kind of doing it on their own, but Holy crap. Are they absolutely crushing it right now? We still got uh, salt Lake, Seattle and Ottawa to come. One more should be coming out today on Thursday, but Holy crap, man, these like some of these are better than any NLL name, team, color, logo design that we have right now. They're phenomenal. Like they are, they are so good. I love how, like you mentioned, like there, there's clear connections to the cities or to the yeah. areas with the names. Like they're so well thought of. And talking to some of the folks at the NLL, whether it's on the media team or even you know some folks in the front office like this isn't something that they've just like thrown together overnight like they have been thinking and working on this campaign um this initiative for so long and i think there is a lot of collaboration and there's so much thought and effort that go into the team names and strategically picking these markets like this is a massive initiative and and it's yeah. been it's been it's been so great so far yeah um, the big thing about this is that it's going to get these kids, high school kids, middle school kids, elementary school kids playing lacrosse. And they're going to be giving all these areas and these programs the equipment to do it. So, you know, they're not going back to the old McWhippet plastic six that we all use in, in gym class way back in the day. They're going to actually be putting proper programs in place to help get players involved in the sport of lacrosse. And, you know, the positive vibes for me is the fact that all this, along with Elevate 28, is working towards the Olympics. And what an incredible day it was for the world of lacrosse, everybody involved um, that helped make this happen. That the fact that our sport will be on one of the biggest sporting stages of them all, maybe the biggest sporting stage of them all, uh, with a chance of millions of people to see the game, try the game. Um, experience it for the first time, get invested in it. And the one thing, I was thinking about this the other day, <clears throat> when the Commonwealth Games were in Victoria, I think back in like 94, um, lacrosse was a demonstration sport. And so there was like Canada East and the Canada West team. But all the athletes, you know, lived in Athletes Village at the campus of University of Victoria here. And they were doing 
they were just hanging out in the quad with a whole bunch of sticks, just throwing the ball around and just getting people interested. Hey, you know, try this, pick up a stick. Let's play a little game of catch little things like that. Just putting sticks in the hands of those athletes from all these other countries just peaks interest and light the flame of, holy crap, this is a cool sport. Let me try it. Like, look at all the, the pro athletes we see now saying how cool lacrosse is or they used to play lacrosse and they wish they stuck with it because it's such an incredible sport. Now you're getting athletes that have never seen it and putting it in their hands. It's just such a positive thing for the game of lacrosse. And I know there's going to be you know the argument about the Haudenosaunee and whether they should be in and whether teams should be playing or not, You know if they're not in, like all that stuff. That is a very valid argument. I get it. I know why people want that to happen. And we all want to see the Haudenosaunee in the Olympics. It would be incredible for all of those athletes to be able to walk across with their flag under their passports and all that. But on a grander scale, the fact that lacrosse will be in the Olympics for the first time in like a hundred years is phenomenal and will boost the game of lacrosse to levels we've never seen before. Yeah, it's it, it honestly when, you know, the fact that it still to the, to this day, like thinking about it is just surreal. And the eyes that will be on the game, uh, you know, come L.A., it, it's amazing. It, it really yeah. is amazing. And it's such a, a monumental moment and it will be a monumental moment for the game of cross. Um, I think that the conversation for the Haudenosaunee being there, you're right, it, it is I think it, it, it deserves its own conversation and yeah. that's the next step for it to be the perfect situation. But one thing that I wanted to, to talk about regard the, you know, regarding the, the Olympics itself is, you know, it's a long way till 28. Yeah. And I really like that, you know, it's not like our job is our job's done. We're in the Olympics. We did it. What elevate 28 is doing is now saying like, we need to use this as a, like, we got to get, like, we got to use this as a springboard. We're not just waiting for this to happen. Like we start growing. And when, when we get to LA, you know, we're, we're, we're going to hit the ground and we're already full speed ahead. Yeah. We are like what they want to, is it double the, the, the amount of registrations that they have Mm -hmm. in the United States? They, they want more sticks and hands as possible. And, and it's so important that everyone is working together to get that goal. And I think, I think we're finally going to be at this point where it's more than just, you know, throwing out a hashtag grow the game and, and oh I did my, you know, wipe my hands. We're good. I've done it. I think there's actually going to be some growing and I think it takes, everyone involved it, it takes the pll the nll u.s lacrosse lacrosse canada the haudenosaunee women's lacrosse everyone from top yeah. to bottom if we're not all pulling at the same string on the same way we're only doing this game a disservice yeah the crazy thing is we're five years away yeah like you said who the hell are going to be on these teams in five years. I know. Right? Like, it's it's crazy to think, like, say the Haudenosaunee do get in. Like, does Lyle play just because he's Lyle and then everything that he means to the Haudenosaunee? But he's going to be in his mid-30s by then. Yeah, you know? he'll still be playing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, probably. But, like, you know, Teet's going to be 28. 
Um, you know, Dyson Williams will be 26. He, he's going to be there. But, you know, it's not going to be the the Mark Matthews or the Dane Smith. So the Josh Burrow might be Josh Byrne. But, you know, mm-hmm. some of these guys are going to be a little older. And it'll be very interesting to see, you know, who is going to be on these teams come 2028. Because it's not going to be the the household names now. It's going to be those guys that are in their first few years in the league, um, including Brett Dobson, who, breaking news, just signed a four-year deal with the Georgia Swarm. So, you know, it's going to be a, a big turnover, you know, in five years from now from what you saw from Team Canada at the World Games or um, at the uh, – yeah, the World Games or at the World Field Across Championships, uh, maybe even at the Indoor Championships coming up in 24, there's going to be some new names on a lot of these teams. It'll be very interesting to see who makes the teams because that's going to be a discussion in and of itself come five years from now. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's 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 if you think that Canada is going to walk into this Olympics um, and walk out, you know, no problem with two gold medals. Like you're, you, you know, you might be really, really um, speaking out of turn because I think that the U S is going to really put a lot of, of resources in getting their top athletes. Like they want, they're the host. They want to, they want to dominate. They want to own the podium, whatever it is. Like, so I think over the next five years, we're going to see more and more Americans, trying out box across because what's the best way to train for sixes yeah it's probably getting inside the box yeah you can't tell me that guys aren't going to want to you know compete for a gold medal now mind you are the is canada going to be the favorite absolutely they are but with that being said brandon o'neill imagine him (laughs) in sixes um like there's going to be guys top top american talents that i think realize the opportunity that they have and just playing in the pll or just playing um, field across is not just going to do it or play the you know the olympic qualifying games that that yeah. they're going to have leading up and a few exhibition games here and there that's not going to be enough i think over the next five years we see a major influx of elite american talent trying their hands whether it's in the nll or like you said even the indoor uh world championships coming up next next year in uh in, in uh utica utica and I don't know. I, I, it's, I, I went, I went, I went to that, that venue is awesome. And that is going to be the best. Like it, it is such an awesome setup. They have, we didn't have game. I mean, I was there for the U S box um, collegiate championships yeah. and we didn't have access. Well, we had access, but we didn't have any of the games on the major, the big rink where the, uh, the AHL team plays there, but they're going to have that rink. They're going to have the rink that we were at. And then there's two additional rinks. So there is a ton of pads. They're all like within the three of those pads, you can like walk back and forth. You can see it's going to be like a lacrosse haven because let's not forget. We have obviously the, the main group will have the secondary groups, but also the women are going to be playing there the first time as well. So it is going to be awesome. I don't know if I'm there in terms of, you know, on the broadcast or whatever, but I mean, it's only a five hour drive for me. I'll be there. I yeah. guarantee you I'll be there watching those games. Um, sidebar, when you were there in Utica f- last summer, heard that uh, you, Geico, Shuey, Cooper Perkins, went out and had yourself a bit of a night on the, uh, the quiet ghost town streets of Utica. 
the only bar I think that was open <laughs> at the time in the entire city of Utica. Yeah, it was a it was a great time. The the meetings meeting of the minds. Yeah, it was good. That <laughs> that uh, ten o'clock wake up call or ten o'clock game time, I should yeah. say, for for the gold medal game was a little bit rough. Uh, for <laughs> she was like, I don't know how they call the game the next day. <laughs> <laughs> Tied one on as we do. Um. One of those kids that could be playing for Team USA in five years is Brett Frude's son, who is an aspiring young lacrosse player, going to be going to Brown. Uh, he signed his national letter of intent the other day. So there's a lot to be happy about in the Frude family. And the commissioner has been doing, you know, he's, he's year two now. So what's in store for the NLL? Where are we at as a league? And, and what's next on Brett Frude's mind? find out as he and I go one-on-one this week on the Off the Crossbar podcast. With the NLL season just a few weeks away, what better time to talk with the man behind the scenes, the Commissioner Brett Frude, to see what the heck is going on with all things NLL, because it's been a wild and crazy past few weeks. Kamish, how are you? Doing well. How are you today? Uh, I'm awesome. Um, last time we saw each other was at the uh, Hall of Fame and Draft. What a memorable, incredible night, two nights those were. What stands out for you about that Hall of Fame ceremony, which would have been your first really with the NLL? Yeah, that was an amazing night for the industry and, you know, on a personal level to be part of the induction and honestly to even meet some of those legends for the first time was was pretty special. Obviously, I knew you know, Casey and Reggie and Steve, Sean, Pat, and, you know, some of those guys, but mm-hmm. hadn't had the opportunity to meet, you know, Bill Fox and Roy and, and Finneran. Um, so pretty awesome, pretty awesome experience. Um, always pretty spectacular, right. To have the opportunity to showcase your legends and, and tell that story. And, and obviously a rich history in this league to do it. Um, fun, funny story, actually, I met Colin um, Doyle for the first time that that evening, and, and you know, iconic figure in our league for sure. I was uh, out coaching this past weekend up in Maryland, my 2026, and look over at the field next to me, and Colin's coaching um, a team from Toronto. So had the opportunity to catch up with him after the game, and I think it's those connections and relationships um, that are so meaningful to our sport, and to, to kind of take it full circle in a matter of a couple months from the the box to the to the field and and see him, and I'm sure I'll see him back up in Toronto at a game uh, this season. So pretty awesome. We took a bit of a hiatus from the Hall of Fame. Is this a process now that we're going to try to get back to on a yearly basis? Yeah, I, I don't know about yearly. It's it's uh, I, I guess you're a, a bit of irony in your your question because I just talked to Mike French yesterday about this very subject. Obviously, a Hall of Famer and oversees our Hall of Fame committee. Um, for sure, we want to get back. We want to get back to having that a regular occurrence. And you know, I obviously COVID threw that uh, mm-hmm. into to tatters before, but um, it is important for us to continue to to foster that legacy and the stories and and celebrate these folks. So I, I think we'll probably do it every couple of years, so we can focus on larger classes and have the 
the pomp and circumstance they deserve and the celebration like we did this past year, which I think we can all agree was a, a massive success. So yes, we'll get back to a regular cadence. I don't know about annual, um, right. but a heck of a lot more frequently than we have before. Uh, that is very good to hear. You are officially into year two on the job. This doesn't have to be a, a state of the union address or anything, but where is the national lacrosse league at right now? The good, and the not so good. Yeah, I suppose we could talk for hours on the state <laughs> of the league and and our active initiatives. And I think you guys have seen some of the things that I'm sure we'll talk about today that we're kicking off. And we've yeah. got a busy month ahead of us before the kickoff. But I'll practice brevity. Um, <laughs> first year was intense, obviously. Um, for me, just trying to accelerate the learning curve and learn as much as possible. Drinking out of the proverbial fire hose for sure. And, uh, you know, that included, but certainly wasn't limited to a whole lot of things. You know, for me, it's, you know, everything from learning the governance and bylaws and intricacies of the CBA. Um, You just mentioned we were doing event planning, you know, whether it was the Hall of Fame and um, or the draft spending a massive amount of time with our owners and specifically in all these different markets, meeting the fans and trying to understand the differences there. Um, you know, understanding and, and gaining knowledge of just the business model, which was new to me um, and, and how that league and team ecosystem worked both just uh, on an operational standpoint, but also from a, from a fiscal standpoint developing relationships with the players, which is really important. You know, those guys are the lifeblood of the league. Um, spend a lot of time with with um, Zach and Reed from the PA perspective, just to gain, you know, I, 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 I'd say a deeper understanding of their perspective and where they're coming from, both from a competitive standpoint, business standpoint, personal standpoint, but obviously an important part of moving forward. Um, spending time with our partners and most specifically, obviously on our broadcast side, which, which, you know, well, the, the folks Mm -hmm. in Canada on the TSN side and then ESPN and and just taking stock on our assets and building out those revenue opportunities and what those look like. But, um, I think for me, probably the biggest takeaway, um, on that stuff is that we've got a few really important pillars that I believe position our league really well for the future. Um, and I don't, I don't know that there is a, a priority of importance of all of them because I think they all mesh together, but I, I, I'll start with just our exceptional product on the floor. And, and obviously I'm biased, you're biased, mm-hmm. um, but it, I, you know, I'm a huge sports fan and, and I'll consume it all. I always have. And, you know, I'll turn that TV on at night when I get home and, um, Really, I I have not been prejudiced in what I watch, Um, but for me, our product is just, it's the best from a global standpoint right now. When I think about what today's sports fan really craves um, and what will kind of gain their inertia um, and consumption in a real manner, I, I feel like we have it all, right? It's, it's a modern game suited for, for today's fan. And it's that nonstop action. It's the physicality. It's the diversity. It's the personalities. Um, you, you can watch it and you're not, you're never bored. And it doesn't matter if you're in one of our venues or if you're consuming it uh, with one of our TV partners. And um, so I like going into a new situation, a lot of people I think struggle with 
what does the product look like? Is it good? Is it bad? Do we need to improve on it? So right away, when I think about our product, um, of course, we're always looking to, to grow and, and, and make things better, but it's, it's pretty damn good um, and special. So excited about that. And, and I briefly mentioned just the athletes, right? Mm -hmm. I'll, I'll segue into that. I mean, you look at um, the, the, the guys that are out there, uh, world-class um, athletes, I think we could, you know, throw them into any other sports, many of them, and they'd be successful at that. You know, they always talk about LeBron. Um, if he was a tight end for an NFL team, right, he'd be an all pro. I, I feel that way about our athletes. And, yeah. you know, you look at you look at all these guys and um, just world-class um, at the pinnacle of their sport. We'll talk about the Olympics in a little bit, right? And the opportunity they yeah. have, but just, um, I think great ambassadors, um, just for the sport in general, not just our box product, but all disciplines. Um, many of them have other jobs that they're really successful at. So I think we've got personalities, um, that, you know, with a lot of storytelling capability. Um, so excited about how we can continue to work with that group. And then uh, for sure, we've got committed ownership groups that, and, and not just ownership groups, the fiduciaries um, that I've, I've gotten obviously the chance to, to know and interact with on a daily basis, you know, from our owners to our GMs, to our coaches, to the other business leaders that are just, you know, uh, not only sophisticated, but extremely passionate about the product, their teams, and then uh, I'd say rowing together from a league perspective to, to chase success. So um, just a tireless group um, there. And, and I'd be remiss if I didn't mention our internal team yeah. and our um, all of the folks working from the NLL, both men and women that are just, you know, busting their guts every day for, for our product and they wear a lot of hats. So we're, we're vertically integrated. You see, you see it when you show, you know, and, and you're part of that team. So it's, but it's, it isn't just, uh, you're in charge of your vertical. You know, we had, you know, folks that are, you know, overseeing partnerships or TV broadcasts running our hall of fame event. Um, so pretty special there. And then, um, you know, obviously our strong media partners that give us that platform to, to showcase our products. So uh, just a, a ton of opportunity, but those are the cornerstones for me that provide that exponential growth opportunity. Um, you mentioned the not so good. What are the what are the things like I, well, we can't avoid that? Right. We got to yeah. put our, our our big boy britches on and be able to answer those questions. And um, I. I'd rather, I'd rather say challenges and areas of improvement. Um, and for us, there, there's obviously important areas we got to focus our attention on. Um, and I, I think one of the big things for us is continuing to enhance our technology um, and improving those vital touch points because the, that's what the fans, um, we, I talked about that new fan, the new sports fan, right? They need, they want to touch it. They need, they're utilizing technology um, and our league needs to grow with it, you know, so both on the dot-com side, the app side, just statistics, all of it is continuing to progress with those platforms. Um, unfortunately, some of that takes a while, right? Cause we're talking about technology and then where does it fit into the, the priority of everything else we got going on? And it certainly is important. So, um, we need to understand what's next, um, along those lines where we're going to have improvement improvements we're kicking off to start the season 
but uh, I'd be naive to think those are going to be good enough. We need to keep grinding hard um, on technology and interface with our fans. So that'd be a big thing. I'd say the also um, another important bucket that that I I don't think we've had enough success with over the years that we certainly need to is is having strong corporate partnerships. Um, those are going to be vital for our sustainability, really the, the sustainability and the success of any professional sports league. And it rings true for us. Um, and, and I'd say that's a process. I, 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 in my prior life, lived in that space, right? You don't build a really successful value-laden program with a partner overnight. It's, mm-hmm. it's building a relationship. It takes months. It's understanding their business, their challenges. How can we utilize our assets um, to ultimately help them solve problems. And it's, it takes time. And for us, um, it's going to be really important to build those. And, and, and I, I'm a believer of not just chasing the next dollar, um, with a partner that maybe is just looking for a media buy per se, that's going to be gone, um, you know, in a split second. I want to build meaningful partnerships that honestly, the goal is it. They, they last into perpetuity and they're built off of the authentic relationship and, and assets. And those are the ones that will help propel our league because you find partners that will amplify our product um, and work with us on content creation, tell the story of our ambassadors, our athletes, our teams, our owners. And um, it, it really turns into a, I'd say a, a, a symbiotic, um, you know, mutually beneficial ROI laden process with these guys and we've got to get to that point so technology and partnerships i'd say is is those voids we need to keep grinding and um building equity with biggest i I wasn't that brief (laughs) no i don't i know that's what i don't want you to be brief these are these are the things that you know constantly fans are asking us to to ask you guys you know the the apps and the stats and all those things so they they take time and there are things that everybody wants all across the league and, and you guys are continually working on it. But what was the biggest eye opener for you as, you know, as you made your trips around the National Cross League, talking to fans and and finally getting to some of these markets and, and watching these athletes? What was the biggest eye opener for you in year one? Yeah, I think the, the biggest for me is just how massive our um, untapped potential is. Hmm. So, you know, before this, and you and I have had conversations, I feel like I had my finger pretty close to the pulse of field lacrosse in the U.S. Yeah. Um, was a fan, uh, have always been a fan of box lacrosse in the NLL, but, you know, life gets away and, you know, working the other job and kids and taking them to the tournaments. I hadn't been in person. Um, I've consumed it on TV, but hadn't been to an NLL game in several years before accepting the position. So going to these games and, um, you know, I'll just use the finals because it's the most recent game I've been to, right? You go to Colorado and Buffalo back to back and you see the rabidness and the passion of those fans um, and and the volume. I mean, you know, you got 19,000 people watching a game in Buffalo and everyone wearing bandits gear and, you know, same thing. You had to head to Colorado. So. Like to me, you know, I I just I don't know that I had that real time um, feeling of just how rabid it was in these markets. And um, I'd say the the other big takeaway in parallel to that was 
how unique um, the demographics were to some of these markets. So it wasn't just this like endemic lacrosse fan um, or, you know, that was at these things. It was, it, it wasn't, it was without prejudice, right? We, we are literally a sport for everyone. And you see that when you, when you go to these games, you go to Halifax and um, obviously epicenter there, it's got a lot of universities in the area and it's got that, you know, very young, I'd say demographic. We've got, you know, it's 22 year olds to 30 year olds um, enjoying adult beverages, having a good time. It's, it's their pregame before they're going out that evening. And all of a sudden you got 11,000 people packing the place in Halifax, um, and love that team, right. As much as any team in the league right now. And it's a a a pretty organic right there. Mm. Um, and you, you had to, you know, you head over to Toronto, um, you know, where box lacrosse is interwoven into the fiber of culture in, in Ontario. Mm-hmm. And you go into that building and I'm there, you know, talking to a couple of the players and Jamie Dowick before the couple hours before the game, shooting around. And there's kids lined up at the glass looking for autographs. Yeah. And who's behind them? Two steps behind is their father, who definitely played box lacrosse and who's three steps behind them, their grandfather. Yeah, yeah. So I see that generational um, platform, which, which those are really exciting, right? Cause you, you take it from one to the next, you never lose them. Mm-hmm. And then um, you, you head down 60 miles South to Buffalo and um, I, I, probably more of a sports fan demographic than I'm used to just growing up in upstate New York and being an, you know, an avid sports fan up there, you know, from, from the bills perspective or Syracuse basketball, whatever it may be. And it is a sports fan. Yeah. And I'd say, you know, you look at Buffalo, probably 80% of the people in that arena have never touched a lacrosse stick. Right. They, but they got bandits gear on. They have a love for the team. They have a love for winning. And it's just like an ultimate sports fan. So put all this in the mixer. I'm not even, I haven't even brought up the diversity of yeah. these, you know, so it, it doesn't matter. Um, we've got indigenous fans. Um, we, 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 we cross race. We have women. We have young. We have old. Everything. Um, and to me, you know, you ask the biggest eye opener just potential and the potential because of the opportunity to go into all these markets and new markets, markets that don't have a team markets that may have a team and build a fan base. And you don't have to just start with someone who knows lacrosse. We just need a sports fan. Yeah. Um, and then we need to present our product to them um, and distribute it to them and share with them and engage with them and provide content and all of a sudden, um, we can explode. So I'm uh, really excited for, for where we can go. A lot of those things you just talked about, the, the new fan, the new fan bases, really got um, a kick in the pants this past week. And, and you were a very busy man traveling around, ringing bells. Was that your first time in the heartbeat of Wall Street and the New York Stock Exchange? No. Uh, <laughs> no, it was not. Um, it was my first time um, up there near the bell. Um, yeah. I worked in equity capital markets in New York for years before graduate school. Um, in fact, my last working home in New York was a couple blocks from the exchange when I was working with with Thompson Financial, which is, I think, now Thompson Reuters. I was on Broadway um, 
probably two blocks from the exchange uh, right near the World Trade Center. So I uh, no, spent many years there and went through the investment banking grind. Um, but I, I'll tell you a, a funny story is, so I had my son with me, um, brought him to the exchange. And um, I, I don't know how pleased he was with me, but afterward, I wanted him to experience my post-work commute back to the, the Upper East Side. So we yeah. jumped on the four train down at the Wall Street stop, which I had done every day for many years. Um, nothing like the, the subway in July, um, about five o'clock in 130 degrees with a suit and tie on. Yeah, uh, yeah. So we, I, we jumped in there a little chillier. So, and the cramped subway and brought him on that jaunt. So a little reminiscing <laughs> those days, but for sure, a nice opportunity for us to showcase our sport on that, on that global platform at the New York stock exchange. So at the time it was, you know, an announcement of the Elevate 28 charter and it definitely made some noise. Adam Levy, who writes for the National Lacrosse League, put it as the most important document in lacrosse history. What makes it so impactful? Well, you're making it sound constitutional. <laughs> lots, lots of pressure, lots of pressure to deliver. Um, I really, I, I, you know, to start, it was fun working with all of our peer entities um, within the sport, specifically on on the U.S. ground there to come up with a common goal. Um, And, you know, I I, I hear and read about the conspiracy theories and the competitive nature of the the leagues. Um, I've I've really got a kind of a rise the tide mentality. Um, get along with all of them and, and certainly have worked closely specifically on the Elevate 28 char- charter with USA Lacrosse and Athletes Unlimited and, and Joe and IMCLA and World Lacrosse and IWLCA and PLL. So, right, I think that the big thing there is just the group publicly unifying was the, the transformational part. But at the end of the day, that's not the most important part. The most important part is the common goal and the results we all kind of try to achieve together, which is growing lacrosse. And that's where the elevate comes in and opportunities to play and sticks and hands. And um, I'm sure you'll, you'll probably have some questions on some of our unbox that we launched, which ties directly to this. So we, we, we are, uh, you know, become a first mover within the, the, I'd say the commandments of this charter of let's go out and grow and yeah. put a game plan together. And I know our, our peers are going to be doing the same thing. So um, it was fun, but I, you know, I think all of us honestly behind the scenes are working on all this stuff together a yeah. lot more than people realize. And those conversations is occurring. I guess it's sexy to have controversy and um, potentially combative, um, you know, editorial around these. But I think that's probably the the most impactful piece of it is, hey, listen, we're all across just different disciplines. We're all going to be selfish in our own motives and growing our own discipline. But this was more of a transformational unifying exercise. So you and Paul are on good terms? Yeah, Paul and I have always been on good terms. I've got a ton of respect. You know, Paul, Mike, Rachel, that whole team, um, they kick a lot of butt, right? Mm -hmm. Like they've done just a tremendous amount with that property over the years. Um, Innovative. And, you know, I'm a a fan of their league. Um, We obviously share a ton of great players. 
um, then, you know, so I, I think it behooves both of us, both of our organizations to root for each other's success um, and find synergies, you know, when possible. But the, the, they're, the, that whole team does an amazing job. And um, for us, the PLL, PLL success, um, I do think carries over from, from a lacrosse standpoint. As they mm-hmm. grow the game, it helps grow our game. Um, as they grow fans in the U.S., um, you know, if, if we do our job, we're converting them and vice versa. They, they should be wanting to convert our fans. So, uh, yeah, a copacetic relationship with those guys. And um, I, I anticipate that to continue. It's always been sort of um, a slippery slope for some of our athletes, whether they play PLL or they play NLL. And, you know, we've seen some guys opt for one over the other. How are we and where are we trying to get it so there isn't that decision-making process? Yeah, I mean, I just said we both both at times need to be selfish yeah. um, relative to what's best for us. And, and sometimes that will work out and it'll be synergistic. And sometimes it may not be, which has happened with the schedule over the last couple of years. Right. Yeah. And it's not that anyone's doing purposeful, you know, anything purposeful to be punitive toward the other. Um, I I'd say to your point, what, what has happened is it's made it challenging for those players. Um, you know, the, the, the Buffalo players the last couple of years have probably had the most impact just because of just the relationship where they've been in the playoffs and, and then the, the chaos starting their season. Mm-hmm. So I think it's been important for us to, to work from a league standpoint to help that and actually help it mitigate it, right. Mitigate that overlap. And you saw it was mitigated this year. Um, we took a step toward this past season toward it. And then with our schedule coming out this year, it'll be another step. So there won't be that overlap. Um, at the end of this year so those players that are that go deep into our playoffs will have the opportunity to transition right into the pll without missing games and um and i I think that's important because for our players um and the 40 plus of them they enjoy playing in both um it's an important part of their annual compensation and and they you know these guys are team guys We, we we've both played for teams and in the trenches and um, whether they're on their NLL team or their PLL team, it's, you know, it's, it's important for them to be there and from the get go um, and be, be vi- a viable part of the season from the initial stages. So we're going to continue to work on, on mitigating those situations. Uh, the unbox program is a great step in elevating the sport. And my goodness, are you guys crushing it with some of these team names and logos? Uh, just today we got the uh the the snow crab no sorry the ghost crabs we've got the the rhythm the snowbirds like you guys are crushing this when can we get some of this merch brett yeah so before i talk about the merch i i i want to say so this whole grassroots unbox was was kurt hunziker who um oversees our commercial vertical Worked really closely with Brian Lemon, um, who oversees our Lax Ops, and mm-hmm. I, I, they collectively have really driven the grassroots side. So proud of their effort efforts, and it's been it's been tireless. So have done a good job, and you know, obviously this the whole community logo um, 
franchise without a franchise, right? Yeah. It's um, it's innovative and cool and is creating engagement and, and really fun. Those guys have done an awesome job. We are, we are going to have community specific merchandise and it's going to debut early in 24. Um, and the exciting thing is the retail sales will, pr- the, the proceeds will directly be reinvested back into those communities. So, um, yeah, we've gotten a number of questions of when can I get the gear? And, um, it's, uh, guys have done a phenomenal job with that. Right. And I think created some initial excitement. We got a few more to launch this week. So more to come, some fun, fun, more logos. Um, how are NLL teams and players going to interact with these new groups? Cause most are in not, you know, NLL markets, but some of these markets, um, are close to, to NLL beds or have players living in those areas. But how are the NLL players and the league going to interact with these franchiseless franchises? Yeah, so obviously a ton to unpack here. Um, and, you know, for us, it's really we want to do two things, which is highlight our existing NLL clubs and those markets. Mm-hmm. And then there's the additional nine markets. So, um, we have some clubs that are doing this really well already. I'll just uh, like use Vancouver is just a really good example of their sticks to schools initiatives. I, I even, you know, a number of them have heck Philadelphia is st- our wings program is starting their first ever all girls team this season. Right. So like it, it's, it's already been happening. Um, now it's our job to continue to foster it and, and grow it. And, and ultimately this, this whole unbox is really about providing elementary and middle school, you know, middle schools across the country in, in our existing and new markets with lacrosse specific PE curriculum, um, and equipment and sticks and hands. It's grow it's growing the game, amplifying it. And obviously that'll have a re- residual effect on our league and and probably many other leagues, right? It, mm-hmm. it gets that kind of rise of the tide mentality. So within our existing markets, obviously a lot easier to, to use our, our, we'll call it our league assets, our ambassadors. Um, and as we continue to build out the par- our partnership opportunities and the funding, it will pro- we'll get our players in, in these new markets. So you just mentioned a few, right? You mentioned Baltimore and Tampa and St. Louis. Um, so launching these school programs and bringing our players, existing players into these programs in market. And, and some may say, well, you know, how is that helping, right? How is that helping the, the league? And um, well, I'm hope people wouldn't ask that. Hopefully they can, it's intuitive to figure it out. But yeah. the reality is we've got a lot of folks watching our games, but certainly the density is within our core markets. Those people that have been able to appreciate it for a good amount of time, you know, and it's in the the Vancouver's and the Denver's and, and the Buffalo's, right? Yeah. Um, but we know that just taking St. Louis as an example, it's, it's a hotbed. It's a lacrosse hotbed now mm-hmm. here in the U.S. Um, how do we transition those endemics and non-endemics that haven't touched lacrosse sticks um, and entice them to our sport? And this is really an opportunity to do it at the grassroots level. It's organic. Um, it's not novel. Like there's a lot of organizations across the world. Soccer's probably done, you know, the most incredible job when you look at it from a global basis from yeah. Italy to Guatemala, right? It, it starts with the kids. And um, so we want to get back to the basics. 
And we feel that if we attach the NLL brand to these initiatives with these community brands and have some fun with it um, and tell the story and build some content and get our players in market, that we're going to have this new wave of fans um, that are going to be consuming our product across the U.S. and Canada. So this is, uh, yeah, for us, obviously a duality. Um, we want to cross the border. And I think we, we've announced one Canadian city so far in Ottawa, and yeah. um, we'll have the next one coming up soon. Um, are any of these communities going to get a chance to see like a, a regular season or exhibition game up close and personal? Well, um, more to come on this question is I don't okay. want to cannibalize my own imminent. <laughs> um, okay, good teaser. It's really important for us to introduce our game to these new markets and get aggressive with these pursuits. And, mm -hmm. and honestly, there's no better way to let fans touch and feel our product than have it sitting in a new town. Um, yeah. So it, you more to come, but I'll ask you out of curiosity, um, give me a couple cities that if you give me a couple of us and a couple Canadian cities, if we could take a game there um, in the future, where, where would you want to see a game? Uh, I'm going Nashville. Okay. Um, I would love to see a St. Louis game, maybe like a, a Utah game somewhere in there. Um, being a, a, an original rush, I'd love to see you guys go. I'd love to see Lee go back to Edmonton. Quebec City would be sweet. Um, and then Winnipeg. Um, those are sort of my, my five right there, um, which kind of leads me to the next question is that this is kind of a sneaky way of test marketing. And some people kind of see, is it maybe leading to expansion? Uh, we obviously just flipped to a 15-team unified league. But where are, are we when it comes to adding a 16th team or more? Yeah, I mean, there definitely needs to be a hybrid approach when we're considering our existing organizations versus expansion. Um, and I think I've, I've been fairly verbal in my prioritizing of our member clubs and their success and sustainability. Um, making sure they're pillared um, and fortified. But I, you know, that being said, it'd be short-sighted and not looking forward to consider the significance of new markets and ripe new fan bases. And I, we're, we're definitely there, right? Like is understanding like, okay, how can we continue to help and um, build equity with our existing and at the same time having our keener eye on where those next markets are. So the, our, our fans should definitely expect um, new teams joining the league in, in the future. Um, it isn't tomorrow, um, but it isn't in 10 years, right? Yeah. So it's important. And I, I think um, with that, for sure, we've been active, but uh, pragmatic with discussions of that next wave of NLL owners. Um, mm. I'll tell you, it's a, maybe your first question. Maybe that was one of my other surprises for the year. You said kind of one takeaway. It has been um, pretty consistent, the phone calls I'm getting from potential new owners in this league. And um, so it, it's, it, and, and when I say consistent, not like once a month, um, yeah. multiple times a month from, from different folks. And, and what's interesting too, it isn't just um, locality driven. We I've had a number of calls just from from sophisticated business folks that have um, definitely 
looked at our league and see lacrosse is growing and are agnostic um, relative to where they want to live. It's just like we want to learn more about your league and the opportunities and see the trajectory of what's going on here and are excited about it. So, um, of course, initiatives like the Unbox will help cultivate fan bases and in new areas from the ground up and we can continue to evaluate and understand the inertia um, that that's creating and, and, you know, certainly expansion plays a part in in all those strategies. So Gene Haas racing is on the phone all the time. Well, I haven't, you know, I haven't, I haven't dug into Gene yet. He's got, he's got so much money um, into his F1 initiatives. Um, We'll uh, probably focus on some other. Um. Elevate 28 and Unboxed uh, are groundbreaking endeavors um, that will need to push this game forward to the biggest stage of them all, and that's the Olympics. It was an incredible announcement um, a few weeks ago that LA 28 will have the sport of lacrosse in the sixes form. A couple questions on this before we move on, but in your mind, as someone who has been around the game of lacrosse for quite some time, how big is this? Yeah, I, I don't know about you um, growing up, but for me, the Olympics was my sports motivator. Mm-hmm. Uh, and while I did uh, while I did grow up playing lacrosse, obviously mm-hmm. it wasn't the Olympics. Wrestling was so yeah. like my 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 two core sports growing up, and I started wrestling when I was like three or four years old. Um, I remember having USA Olympic poster on my wall. Like that was it. That was like, it wasn't, I want to be a doctor. Um, I want to be a teacher. It was, I want to be an Olympian. And um, so I, I think this is just enormous. The inclusion of the Olympics in, in the, in, in 2028, a positive for all disciplines. Um, and, and obviously for us, we're excited about it because of the close correlation with sixes for our mm-hmm. gameplay. Um, and we'll continue to look for, for ways to leverage that. So I, I think for kids today, um, it just, it, hopefully, it, you know, they kind of fill the funnel like I did relative to that ambition and, and goal standpoint. You know, I didn't have that. I didn't for lacrosse. It was, you know, I did have the luxury of growing up in Syracuse yeah, and um, had the, the carrier dome 20 minutes from my house. So when you think about the early 80s and, and, and then into the 90s, right, it started for me with Brad Cotts playing. And all, uh, most of these guys that, I, that, that I'll mention from Syracuse were all NLL legends at, at some point, right? And then, and then um, for sure, you know, I had Gary and Paul, Z-Man and and, uh, Burns and Marichek. And then it turned into, then it turned into, you know, other guys that then I ended up playing against, but, you know, so when I was in the backyard um, with my brother playing endlessly or hitting the wall, it was Paul and Gary, right? Like in Marichek. Cause I, so I, I never missed the Syracuse game. I got to watch every single game in the dome. Um, I, I don't know that I missed any. And, um, so, you know, we were, you know, trying the air gate and doing the behind the backs and, you know, we, you know, 
calling out the names, you know, I, I like my, you know, my brother was Paul, I was Gary. <laughs> that, that was how we grew up yeah, uh, yeah. in the backyard. So now add this layer of potential Olympics yeah. game changer. Absolutely. Um, you know, th- this will be an opportunity, you know, on, on the grander scale of things, um, a chance for millions of people to see the game for the first time on a global stage. When was the first time you saw lacrosse? probably going um so i have pictures of me holding my dad's stick from um his freshman year of college probably when i was about five yeah um old wooden stick and um probably and my dad um was a coach at our school so probably when i was about five i was watching it from a high school level and then going to syracuse games those old you know syracuse hopkins all those rivalries so probably five years old and um, certainly um, in all the years between, I have not only played, you know, in hundreds of games, but consumed, consumed our sport at every level, um, you know, primarily from a field perspective, but have played, you know, box living, living um, by the reservation in, uh, in Onondaga, right. Yeah. And, and playing against Lafayette and, and becoming friends and, and in some ways teammates with those guys in different respects. And then playing mm-hmm. against um, a number of them in college, it's, you know, always been close to the game. So to be able to honestly work on it and helping um, playing a small part in its growth yeah. um, is, is pretty special to me. Um, just going back to, you know, five years old being so yeah. such a big part of my life. So how does, how does the NLL work towards building the hype of the Olympics? Yeah, I, you know, I, I, th- I think it's, it's honestly um, integrative to a lot of the things we're going to be announcing with, with the unboxed and, uh, you know, the, the Olympics is, I, I think, a pulpit um, to help tell the story, but it's incumbent on us mm-hmm. to work on our own initiatives that's going to grow the box game. I think, as I mentioned, the correlation with sixes helps tell the story for sure. Um, yeah. But for us, it's it's honestly um, – it's how do we have as many people in this world consuming our NLL product, um, learning as much as they can about the box game. How can we continue to celebrate our players? Um, and especially those players that are going to have the opportunity to, to compete in 2028. That's going to be massive and exciting. Um, I'm excited for those guys that are going to guys and women, um, from, from all the countries that are going to have that opportunity. Uh, I'm jealous. Um, I'm excited for my own kids who certainly won't be there or, or ready for the, the 2028. But when I think about the future and the, you know, will it continue? And you look at 3032, I'm hoping my own, um, you know, boys and my daughter see that as a, a North star, um, yes of something that they want to achieve and um, hopefully we'll push them even harder in their pursuits. Before I let you go, obviously um, TSN and ESPN have been great for the National Cross League to bring this game to more and more eyeballs. Uh, I believe this is the last year of that three-year contract we signed. Are there any discussions to extend that yet or and what's the future linear plan for the NLL? Yeah, obviously great partners in ESPN and TSN, both on the the linear and the streaming side. Yeah. And um, we're we're in the midst of of, of definite discussions with with both of those. 
um, parties relative to how we continue to grow and foster outcomes with each other. Um, and I think both of them want to maintain the, the, the growth that we've already achieved and, and look at opportunities to accelerate more consumption. For sure, you know our, our existing media rights, and and obviously the future of those rights is paramount for us. Mm-hmm. When we think about value proposition and sustainability into perpetuity, TV rights. I mean, it's it's a it's a word we hear across every single sports paradigm for sure. Um, and it's it's honestly the the best way for us to connect and engage with our fans in and outside of our our core markets. It's a priority, um, and our media partnerships are are going to help us accomplish this. And making sure we're fine tuning them and maximizing the potential. All that being said, it's a it's a fragmented space, and sports live sports are scattered across you know, the, the linear broadcast, the regional streaming services. So there, there's a lot to navigate. Um, and I, I'm just going to simplify it for us. It's we want to find the opportunities that um, really ensure that every American, Canadian TV and phone um well, I, I say American and Canadian and then beyond, right? Yeah. Especially when we talk about Olympics, mm-hmm. um, every TV and phone can watch our amazing product. And, um, and that will transcend into other markets, especially when you see the success of the world games. And, you know, uh, obviously we know who the, the players are at the top that are competing for the gold. But, you know, you look down the list and you start seeing names like Denmark and Austria and Switzerland and you know, Uganda and Jamaica, right? So those become um, ripe target markets for our, for our products. So all that, you know, flows back to, to TV media deals um, and how we can maximize those opportunities. So, yeah, we'll continue having um, what, what I know will be impactful and productive conversations with our existing partners. And in parallel, um, we'll do our fiduciary duty and understanding all global opportunities to distribute um, our games and content and find touch points with every fan possible across the globe. December 1st is just 23 days away, NLL opening weekend. Where will Brett Frude be? I think I'll probably be where you'll be. Where are you going to be? Vancouver. I'll be in Vancouver. Yeah, let's go. Yeah, um, I'll be in Vancouver December 1st. Um, Love it. And, um, and then I'm, I'm, I think my next game is the maybe the – Two weeks after that, watching Buffalo um, raise that banner against what will be a strong San Diego team, and oh, yeah. then we'll, we'll go from there. But yeah, excited to excited to get to Vancouver and just uh, obviously you've seen um, what they've done in the off season and great energy. And when I when I talked, I, I spoke earlier about Ontario um, yeah. and just the you know the the nature, the organic native nature of of box lacrosse within culture and and be remiss to to not obviously mention the same over in the bc area right and um it's i I think they're poised for a a strong year and excited to get up there for opening weekend 
We'll uh, we'll have some fresh seafood and uh, chat some more. Britt, I appreciate my man. Um, year one was a memorable one, and I uh, can't wait to see what it gets accomplished in year two. You're already off to a great start. Uh, appreciate the time as always, my friend. We'll talk soon. Thanks a lot. We'll see you in Vancouver. All right, that's Commissioner Brett Frude. Um, lots to take away from that. Um, an upcoming announcement of a, a out-of-market National Lacrosse League game coming, uh, working on the, the TV deals for the future, expansion, like so much to talk about. But what I loved is now he's in year two, he's got to start making some moves and start doing some things to move the National Lacrosse League forward. And, you know, Kurt Hunsinger deserves a lot of credit for a lot of the things he's doing behind the scenes. Him and Brian Lemon have been behind the Unbox program. Um, but Kurt's done an incredible job just pr- trying to bring endemic and non-endemic sponsors to the National Lacrosse League. And we're, we're starting to make some waves. And I, I really think, you know, I said it before, that first year for Brett Frude was just a year to take stock of where we are at and and shake some hands and see venues and, and talk to people around the lacrosse world and see what's out there. And, and now it's time to, to put the train full steam ahead. I think like a lot of people were kind of wondering, like, oh, where is Brett Frude? We've only seen him at a few, you know, few games here and there talking and, you know, he doesn't really seem like a, you know, we don't see him all that often. He's not out, you know, preaching the good words of the NLL. It's like, well, one, I mean, that is absolutely um, a part of the strategy. It was the fact yeah. that he didn't want to go out and just start, you know, promising things yeah. and start putting the horse before the carriage. It was a wait and see approach. It was sit there. It was very, 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 very planned. Like uh, he wanted to see what worked, what isn't working, assess the situation, be very analytical. And like you said, now it's year two. Okay, what are the next things that we want to apply? How do we get this game to the next level? Um, Because let's be honest, just because he's he's not out there doing it doesn't mean that he doesn't care. I don't think they're... I don't think there's a there's too many guys in in a position where he is that has the passion for the game of lacrosse. Like, yeah. sure, yeah, um, you know, a lot of his history is in the field game, but I mean, he's also an upstate guy. Yeah. Um, you know, ties to Rochester Nighthawks, ties to a lot of a lot of you know legends of the game. Um, Reggie Thorpe, family yeah. friend. Um, this is a guy that knows. Uh, he knows a lot about business, but he also knows a lot about, a lot about lacrosse, and he's very connected yeah. in the lacrosse world. And as he said, the conspiracies of, of the headbutting <laughs> between the two leagues, like yeah. I, I think that can kind of be put to rest because, again, he knows, being from the other side, he knows that in order to get this game to the next level, both sides are going to have to work together. And, and he said, I, you know, you, you got to be selfish at times because you are worried about your product and you got to do what's best for your league. But then, yeah, you have to see the similarities and we're all trying to go the same direction. We're all after the same fan bases. We just got to find a way to allow everybody to experience it. And, you know, we, we've done a good job trying to avoid the overlap with how the schedules are working and things like that. So he understands it. And, you know, he mentioned he grew up going to the Carrier Dome and, and watching – the Gates and, and John Zelberti and Tommy Marichuk. And, you know, he grew up in that era. 
So he's been around this league for a long time. And, you know, it wasn't until he kind of got the job that he had seen a, a national lacrosse league game for the first time in, in eight, 10 years. So he has really committed himself to this position. He understands where he's at, but he understands it is a business and moving forward. Uh, we have to act like one and, you're right. He doesn't need to be in the spotlight all the time. You know, that was, he's like the polar opposite of what we've had in the past. Mm. He just kind of wants to sit back, do his job, make sure everything's running properly and let other people do the talking for him. Let the athletes speak for themselves and just make sure that the league is going in the right direction. A hundred percent. I couldn't have said it better myself. All right. Um, I'm a huge uh, NLLstats.com guy. I know you are too. Um, and I absolutely love the immaculate grids um, that are on there. Yeah. I, I literally do them every day. Um, sometimes I kind of have to cheat, not going to lie, and, and look some guys <laughs> up. But it's gotten to me to a new little game we're going to play. It's the Jersey Jury. And so I'm going to give you a player, and I'm going to tell you their lacrosse path. Okay. I like career. this. And I need you to tell me who the player is. Okay. So if you're listening at home, pull over on the side of the road or or whatever you got to do, but just take some stock here. This player started their career in Rochester, went to Albany, then went to San Jose, okay. to Toronto, to Calgary, to Boston, and then back to Toronto. Rochester, Albany... So that's OG Rochester, OG Albany. Yeah. Then to the Stealth in San Jose. Toronto, Calgary, Boston, then back to Toronto. Yeah. Calgary, Boston, then Toronto. So who played for the old – because Albany was only, what, two Two or three? Yeah. Two or three years, yeah. And in two, who's okay? So, who played for Albany that would have had two stints in Toronto? Could be, could be Sanders, Josh Sanders. Shooter, is it shooter? Ding, 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 ding. Yeah. <laughs> Let's go. Oh. Well done. That was, I saw the steam coming out, the wheels were turning. That was, that was well done, Patty. Thank you. I, uh, I thought I'd get you with the 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 old school Rochester, Albany, San Jose, and then back. You're like, okay, maybe he's the new Rochester, the new Albany. But yeah, that's. Uh, that's I'll be cool. honest. San Jose threw me definitely threw a wrench into it, but the the double dip Toronto, I think, yeah. and then Albany, that kind of led me to shooter so um and i knew you wouldn't have picked someone obscure so no 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 no. so what (laughs) what i want to do with this is he was an easy one i want to make and we'll alternate each week okay but it's someone that's been in the league since 2000 okay so start there started in the league since 2000 and they don't have to be in the league currently but we'll uh we'll start to have some fun with this um but i'm next i'm next yeah you're next for next week week. you'll pick a player But, um, yeah, head over to NLLstats.com. Obviously, Graham Perro has done an incredible job with that. Um, like I said, the Immaculate Grid um, is a, a fun little brain teaser each day. 
you get three across the top, three down the side, and you got to find six players that kind of, or nine players that fit in to all of that. So today's, um, give me a player that played for the Chicago Shamrocks and the Edmonton Rush. Like, you got to start thinking about some some crazy, yeah. crazy things. Like Chicago Shamrocks that scored a thousand points in his career. That's not an easy one. So um, a, a ton of fun stuff you can find over on that site. Obviously, he's adding more and more stuff each and every week, but it is a, a great reference um, if you're just curious about any player or teams and stuff like that. Like every team is there. All the way back to like the Washington Wave, you can go back and yeah. see some of these teams. You know, you can go look at the O and eight Charlotte Cobras, to see how bad they really <laughs> were. Um, but the the Immaculate Grid is always a fun little daily brain exercise. Um, so shout out to Graham Perrow and all the work he does at NLStats.com. Time now for Box Bets, your source for all the lines, odds, and props from across the world of lacrosse. Brought to you by CoolBet.com. Stay cool, bet responsibly. <laughs> hey, we're having a good day, lads. And uh, we're still in the mix, baby. <laughs> That's right. We're back. Parlay time. And obviously, season's not quite ready yet. But our good friends over at CoolBet already have you covered. If you want to put some early preseason bets down on who you think is going to win. And there's some very interesting numbers there, some surprising numbers here and there. Uh, but it is your show, Patty, in the stage you pick. Yeah, so the NLL Cup odds are out at CoolBet right now. Uh, if you're I'm on the web- that? Is it still the NLL Cup? Is that what we call it still? I think so. It's not the Champions Cup anymore. I know that. It's not the North American Championship. Yeah, it's all right. And all companies. I believe so. I don't think they've named it. They they haven't named it anything else yet. So to win the NLL championship, let's say. There you go. Um, the San Diego Seals sitting atop at plus 450, uh, followed by the Buffalo Bandits, the defending champs at 550, and the Toronto Rock at plus 550. Then there is a significant drop-off. So the big three up there, then followed by the Halifax Thunderbirds at plus 11. <laughs> Hundred, the Philadelphia Wings at twelve to one. The Colorado Mammoth also at twelve to one. The Vancouver Warriors with probably the biggest jump from last yeah. year's preseason rankings, um, all the way up to fourteen and one or fourteen to one. Calgary fifteen to one. The Georgia Swarm sixteen to one, alongside the New York Riptide yeah. at sixteen to one. Then you have a drop off to Panther City Lacrosse Club twenty one to one, alongside Saskatchewan at twenty one to one. The Albany Firewolves not uh, they picked first overall, finishing last last year. But the Cool Bet odds makers think they won't be in the basement, or based off these odds, they don't have the worst odds to win the championship at 30 to one and then bring it up the rear kind of surprising here mm-hmm. i think rochester at 40 to one and the las vegas desert dogs 40 to one um i kind of already said my surprises there uh mm-hmm. what's what's your biggest surprise here well i think the fact that san diego with o-rig in net 
Um, I, I, I can't see how Buffalo's not one. I can't believe yeah. the Bandits don't have the best odds right now. Um, I think the Wings at plus 1,200 is a bit of a surprise to me, um, especially with a lot of turnover they've had under Paul Day over the last few years. Um, those are the two that stand out to me. Uh, I think the, the bottom five, bottom six are kind of right where I had them. But I... So here, I have a little exercise for you here. All right. And uh, we'll see what you think. Okay, so you have three bets to make. We'll say you have you have uh, we'll say just five bucks each. Let's say, yeah. Um, you have to pick one of the favorites. So, so the teams bandits. that are plus five fifty or better. Yep. And, and then uh, that middle block from yeah. eleven from Halifax eleven to one to sure. New York Riptide sixteen to one, and then okay. we'll say the long shots at twenty one sure. to one to forty one. Okay. So pick pick one of each from those. Um, I'm staying with the bandits at plus five fifty. Okay. I'm gonna go with. I'm gonna go with the Riptide at plus sixteen hundred. Okay. And I'm gonna go with Rochester at plus four thousand. All right. Okay. I mean, those are those are very very good picks there as well. I won't go with the I won't go with the same ones, although I may have had similar. Picks. <laughs> uh, I'm gonna go. I'm. I, I agree with you. I think it's tough to lay plus four fifty um, with San Diego's goaltending situation at the moment. Um, yeah. Could they win the championship? Absolutely. Absolutely. But at plus four fifty, I'm a gambling man. I don't love the value there. So I'm gonna go with the Toronto Rock. Okay. Um, Plus five fifty. Yeah. Um, my next pick. Oh boy, this one's tough. I think this is by far the toughest. Uh, I'm in between two teams, Colorado. Who again? I know their offense. No, no Ryan Lee. But let's be honest. As long as they get into the playoffs, they're built for the playoffs. Yeah. Um, I would not be surprised if they find themselves back in the final. The other one, and it's it's a massive turnaround and and uh, kind of going up against my own reasoning with the seals but the vancouver warriors i mean i i know this is probably the most trendy pick all season long we'll hear with the turnaround with with miloski and of course why wouldn't you at 14 Mm -hmm. to 1 the goaltending obviously is is a little bit you know troublesome but if they can get quality goaltending i think they have enough offensively and i think it's very apparent what they're building on that back end i don't think they need a goalie to to save them each and every night so i'll go with them well let's let's go with for argument's sake, we'll go the Warriors. And then my long shot, you already took the Nighthawks. Let's go with the Las Vegas Desert Dogs. Ooh. Sean Williams and the Las Vegas Desert Dogs. Why not? 40 to 1. <laughs> even a five, a $5 bet. Um, pretty good little payout there. Uh, good goalie, good young goalie. Um, you know, uh, is it likely to happen? Probably not, but at, at a 40 to one bet, why not? I'll sprinkle yeah. that. That'll be my pick there. Um, we're not doing, unfortunately, coast to coast is uh, taking a hiatus, but can I give you a, a early preseason hot take? I would love that. I would absolutely. And love this that. might blow your mind. Okay. Let's hear it. Connor O'Toole will be the starting goaltender for the Vancouver Warriors by season. <laughs> My goodness, that is a spicy take. I love it. 
I just wow. I everyone knows I love Aaron Bold. I have all the time in the world for that man. Um, he's one of my dearest, longest friends. Um, but I think if this team is going to make moves, I don't think Aiden Walsh has it. I don't think. Um, I want Aaron Bull to have success this year. I want him to be the reason that team finally turns it around. But I think the reason Vancouver went out and drafted Connor O'Toole was because they knew he was going to be the future of their organization. And if things go south and they don't start getting wins and and they're kind of flip-flopping with their goalies, Connor O'Toole will be in that starting rotation sooner than later. And by season's end, he will be their number one starter. That is wild. That that is a that is a spicy take. That is a a real spicy take. Well, I got another I got another one here written down too. Yeah, unload the clip, man. Let's go. It's been it's been long enough. <laughs> Andrew Q will lead the Georgia Swarm in scoring. Is that really that hot of a take? Well, you think he outscores Lyle this year? I mean. I was it not pretty close last year. I think it was. Uh, where are we here? Uh, they both ended up oh, yeah, with yeah, 106 points. <laughs> not it's that hard to take it all. Your other one was better. <laughs> yes. Okay. So that was the lukewarm. But, but I think it's Andrew <laughs> Q's team now. I think he after the season that he had, um, you know, he, he kind of found a home where he was happy with. Um, I think. I think he kind of has his even better career year than he did last year. Okay. Well, I mean, put that in the lower level of hot takes. Okay. All right. Well, I mean, I I feel like I've got to throw something out there. Um, I think that Ryan Tarafanko will be a transition player of the year finalist this year. I still think this award is won and lost between career and Rogers. And I don't know which side of the ball Rogers really plays this year because I know they love him offensively. Um, I know they probably, but at the same time, they might miss. I know they will miss Latrell Harris this year, but they will probably miss that, you know, guy pushing the ball. And I know the should be healthy. So they'll have him, but so I don't know what side he plays. If he goes out the back door, I think there's a real good chance he he takes that title back off Courier. But I wouldn't like, be surprised. Cur- Sorry, go ahead. Uh, no Dawson, no Keo this year for the Rock. So, you know, I think um, Josh Dowick will play probably a more prominent role on that right side. I they, can they, see they, them. They, they did bring in Bushi and they did yeah, bring in Lintner. Yeah, but so I it's like I, I think it opens it up for Challen to to go back out the back door where he's strongest and then stay in play. I I've always said this about Challen. Every time Toronto's dabbled with this idea of playing him out in the front, you're taking away some of his best strengths mm-hmm. yeah. by just limiting him out the front door. So I think playing him out the back, especially with the loss of Latrell. Let him do his thing out the back door, run in transition, stay and play every couple shifts. Uh, I think you get more out of Challen Rogers that way than you do yep. just sticking him up the front. 
I, I, I totally agree. And this somehow turned into a conversation about Chowlin, which is hilarious <laughs> because I wanted to talk about Ryan Tarafanko. Yeah, uh, finished with 21 points last year in just his second full season of box lacrosse. Um, seeing what he's doing right now in training camp, hearing everything, uh, he has taken his offensive side of the game to another level here. And I know it's only been one week of camp, um, but he's even, you know, having the capabilities to do a little stay and play. Um, he's in, which is crazy to say, I'm hearing he's in even better shape than he was last year. I think he finally is yeah, it's very scary. I think he's finally fully, fully comfortable in the game of box lacrosse when you have guys you know, like Graham Hosick, like Jake Withers, um, even a guy like Tyson Bell. I know he likes to get up and move the ball, but those guys can, you know, focus really on holding it down on the defensive end. I think Tarafanko is going to have be now more comfortable. He's not thinking the game so much where he can now then take more chances in offensive situations. Yeah. And I think, you know, with the loss of Bushi, with the, the offense getting older on the left-hand side, um, I think this team is built from the back end. And I think if Warren Hill's dialed, I think this defense is really strong. Their offense can score in bunches. Let's, let's mm-hmm. not get it twisted. But I think that to help out their offense, because it's so hot and cold, they're going to need some some big transition pieces this year. And who else but Ryan Tarafanko? And I think, I think this year, at the end of the year, when the, the nominations come out, would not surprise me. I'm, I'm going to say it's going to be Courier. It's going to be Rodgers. And I think Tara Fanko is going to be that third one. I think Terry gets over 200 loose balls this year too. I think he's just going to be an absolute machine out there. And, and when you got Hossick roaming around and Terry doing his thing, it's it's not going to be fun for some of those forwards this year whenever they go up against the Halifax Thunderbirds. So um, and and I know they 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 lose and it, it's it's an unfortunate loss. They lose Billy D. Smith, who was yep. you know a heartbeat on that back end. But then you bring in a guy like Andrew Suter, yeah. who has just as much intensity, but is going to be a different voice. Um, and I think I think Suter's really up for the challenge. We've seen him coach at the junior A level. I think he's ready to take his talents to the next level. And I think that's going to be a good thing for this group. We are 22 days away from NLL opening weekend. You will be in Halifax for that opening game, Saskatchewan versus Halifax. I'll be in Vancouver for Warriors Panther City. The commissioner will be out west, uh, and we will get things running next week. We'll fill you in on more camp details, get you closer to the season. We'll start thinking about who our preseason award winners are going to be, and we'll have another round of box bets. He's Pat Gregoire. Find him on Twitter at P Greggy. I'm at Teddy Jenner. The show is at OTCB underscore podcast. And of course you can find us on the instas at OTCB podcast. Until we speak again, stay safe and be excellent to each other. I am-